Glad to see you today. We're glad that you are here. If you are our guest, we welcome you and thank you for coming today. And I usually stay down front, and I'd like to meet you. Come down front, and let's get acquainted. I'd like to welcome you to Burlington. Well, it's not too early for us to start thinking about Easter. It is going to get warm one of these days. Easter is April the 21st, and we are going to start Easter Day at 7 o'clock with a sunrise service in the parking lot of the courthouse. Now, the courthouse built so that we could not have it in our place because you can't see the sun because of the Justice Center. So we asked the Justice Center if we could have it in their parking lot, and they said yes. And so we're going to start the day uh, with a sunrise service. And we're going to have breakfast. Uh, we're going to have country ham and grits and gravy. Yes, in the form of donuts and coffee. They've, they've never tasted so good. <laughs> so start inviting your friends. Gary Greiser, you know him? Gary's going to be our guest soloist that morning, and he's also going to be our guest soloist for Easter Sunday morning uh, as well. Service will be about 30 minutes long, but it's a good... Nobody does sunrise services anymore. So First Church had one, but the, it was dying. And so I said to Darren... Why don't we do one together? So First Church and the Burlington Baptist, we're going to go together and have a sunrise service. And I think it will be, it will be good. So start, start inviting folks uh, to come. Well, we come today, particularly our congregation, with sad hearts because two of our families have had sudden deaths this week. I mean, devastating, just devastating deaths. Joanne Rice's death was so tragic and so quick, and uh, our hearts are broken for Buddy and both of their families, um, and we will do Joanne's funeral uh, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock at uh, First Church. I forget what time visitation starts. I think it starts about 4, and then the funeral will be at 7. And then Dallas Willoughby. My grandchildren started first grade with Dallas and graduated with Dallas. So we've known Dallas for years, and he was a little dude. We got very fond of Dallas, and our hearts go out to Mike and Diane and uh, their families as well. Such a tragic, tragic death for, for both of them. So continue to pray. Uh, for those families. We are in a series called Me and My Two Sons, and today we are going to talk about the younger son, and the title of the message is, Have You Ever Been Homesick? Have you ever been homesick? I have always had a problem with homesickness, even as an adult. When I would have to be away from my grandmother, I would cry. Until I got back home, uh, I'd have to go down and I come from a, I wanted to say a broken family, but it was more dysfunctional family. I had to go down sometimes and visit with my stepbrother and I didn't want to go 
I'd cry the whole weekend till I got home. And even now, when I travel to Vienna, I go to Vienna to teach every year. And if I fly out of the, out of the airport, I'm, if I'm on the left, I can see First Church. I can see my house. I can see the kids in my house, my kids' house. And I'm homesick before I even get in the air. And so I've always had a problem with it. And uh, there's, it's terrible, isn't it? Nothing cures homesickness except what? Going home. Going home. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let me read the text, and then I will pray, and we will get into it. Turn back again to Luke, the 15th chapter, and we will pick it up today at verse 14. Luke uh, 15, starting with verse 14. And he had spent everything, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. And while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his son's neck, and he kissed him. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, today we come with sad hearts, particularly for our friends, Buddy and Joanne's family as well, and Michael and Diane, and they are mourning the sudden tragic loss of Joanne in Dallas. And I pray that you would continue to surround them with family and friends and loved ones who will offer words of comfort. Give them sweet and restful sleep. And Father, remove the spirit of heaviness and give them a garment of praise during this whole time. And in due time, bless their lives to overflow with laughter and joy again. And as they take refuge in you, please help them to put their trust in you. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you to settle their hearts as they now press forward to create lives without their loved ones. Now, Father, pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today and give each of us just the message you want us to hear because we pray to you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. As you drive down the streets and through communities, it's not uncommon for you to see yellow ribbons tied on trees in front yards of houses, a yellow ribbon on the door or tied on a lamppost, and see yellow ribbon magnets on cars. 
Now, the yellow ribbon is a dramatic part of our culture now, and it is a powerful and eloquent symbol that says, we love you, we miss you, we want you, we treasure you, come home safe. But now, where did the symbol of the yellow ribbon come from? Probably from that 1973 hit, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree, recorded by Tony Orlando and Dawn. And these young kids here have no idea what I'm talking about. It was number one on the charts for four weeks, and it stayed on the charts for 40 weeks. And Tie a Yellow Ribbon grew into an American anthem of homecoming, reunion, and renewal. And we have used that song, and we have used the symbol of the yellow ribbon to welcome home soldiers, POWs, hostages, lost children. Now, do you remember the words? Do you remember the words, you old people? Do you remember the words? <laughs> we'll tie a yellow ribbon round the old Oak tree, it's been three long years. Do you still want me? If I don't see a ribbon round the old oak tree, I'll stay on the bus, forget about us, put the blame on me. If I don't see a ribbon round the old oak tree. Now you're really wondering what I'm going to do next, aren't you? You know the words. Now the whole blankety-blank bus is cheering. <laughs> and I can't believe I see a hundred yellow ribbons round the old oak tree. Eat your heart out, Tony Orlando. <laughs> now the truth of that popular song is simply a modern telling of the greatest story ever told, the parable of the prodigal son returning home from the far country. Now that boy got homesick, and he left the pig pen, and he went home to his father. Folks, Christianity is a religion of going home. Ever since Genesis, the third chapter, when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, we have been exiled and we have wanted to go home. One of my favorite authors is Craig Barnes, and he's written a wonderful book called Searching for Home. And he talks a lot about the prodigal son in that book. And he says this, the real home for which we yearn isn't the place where we grew up or the new place we're hoping to build but the place we were created to live, paradise. We were created to live at home with God, which is what defines paradise. It, home, listen to this, isn't so much a geographical place as it is a place in the heart of God where we were created to dwell. That's good stuff. When you find that home, all the other places in life start to make sense. 
Now, in the light of what Barnes says, that home isn't so much a geographical place as it is a place in the heart of God where we were created to dwell. In the light of that, then let me ask you, have you ever been homesick for the heart of your Father God? Jesus came on a search and rescue mission to find God's lost children and to bring them home. And that's why he spent so much time with the homeless. And Luke 15th chapter is a response to the Pharisees' critical question. Why, Jesus, do you hang out with such low-down scumbags if you claim to be a holy man? Why do you even party with those people? And Jesus responded that they are homeless and they know it. And all of us are homeless. But the greatest story ever told is about those who are homesick for their father's heart, their father's heart, and they know it. Now, this boy had a burning desire to leave home, but then he has a burning desire to come home. What does Luke 15 say? When he came to his senses, he said, I will go home to my father. So he returned home to his father. Now notice there, when he finally came to his senses, he went home to his father. See, folks, people end up in the distant country because of bad decisions. Does that make sense? And those bad decisions are made because of wrong beliefs. It's out of our wrong beliefs that we make bad decisions. We behave the way we behave because of the way we believe. Does that make sense? We behave the way we behave because of the way that we believe. And you can't change your thinking until you, you can't change your actions rather, until you change your thinking. So the journey home for the sun and journey home for us begins in our mind. Now, repentance isn't just stopping bad behavior. That's what we think. But it's more than that. Repentance begins with thinking new thoughts. Thinking new thoughts then leads to repentance. Now, maybe today you're like the younger son. You've wandered from the father. So I want to teach you how to come home to the father. I want to teach you how to come to your senses and come home to the father. Let's begin with this. Realize life in the far country is empty. If you're ever going to go home to the Father, you have to realize that life in the far country is empty. Before that boy left home, <laughs> do, you think any, do you think anybody could have convinced him how empty life in the far country was? No, 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 no. See, folks, the far country produces the greatest promo and PR ads ever. They're the best at it. That's why the beer commercials are usually the best. You know, they, they usually are. They're the best at promoting the far country. You, <clears throat> you watch any sporting event, 
Speaking of sporting events, gloom, despair, agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. David down here is the only happy man in the church today. But you watch any sporting event and watch the message. To be happy, drink more beer. To be happy, party with half-naked women. So you see, the far country does an excellent job of selling what it has to offer. But you see, the PR of the far country doesn't tell the whole story. There are many of us in this room could stand up today and say, I went to the far country and I ended up in a pig pen. Notice how far this boy falls. Barnes again says, it was not long before he spent, before he was spent, enslaved, and found himself having to feed hogs in a distant country. A tough way to hit bottom for a Jewish boy. He became so hungry that he considered eating alongside the hogs. And this is anything but a picture of authentic freedom. Now, now let me tell you about the pig pen. Or sometimes it's called hitting the bottom. Hitting the bottom sometimes is the only way that people will change their thinking. You know, a lot of times we want to protect someone from the pig pen. But sometimes that's where they need to go to come to their senses. I don't know if this is on the screen and I don't know if I gave it to Jessica. One of my sources said this and I can't even remember who it was. said, when we go to the far country, we do things we never thought we were capable of doing and we spend so much time slopping the hogs that we start acting like the hogs. Listen to what he says. It's amazing what we do in the far country. Isn't that the truth? It is amazing what we do in the far country. Folks, we were not made for that kind of life. We were made for life at home with the father. So in that pig pen with those hogs, that boy comes to his senses and he realizes, man, the PR about the far country was a lie. Man, this is no way to live. This, this, this is senseless. This life is, is empty. And in that far country, the only way you can come home is to realize that life in the far country is empty. It's a waste. Number two, stop playing the blame game. If you're going to come home to the Father, if you're going to come back to the Father's heart, stop playing the blame game. Today, everybody is a victim. Now, this is huge. To come home to the Father, you have to stop playing the blame game and Stop saying that I am a victim because of the way somebody else treated me. Now, when that younger son came to himself, he stopped playing the blame game. He stopped making excuses. He could have blamed his older brother. Well, if it hadn't been for older brother, oh, you know, Mr. Self-Righteous, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, I, I wouldn't have left home. And you've heard it. 
well, I don't go to church anymore because they're just a bunch of hypocrites down there and I don't go anymore. You know what I've always felt like saying, won't you come down, we've got room for one more. <laughs> he could have blamed his dad. If my dad had done more for me, he doesn't miss me. <laughs> I haven't even heard from him since I've been gone. He hasn't even texted me or emailed me or anything. He doesn't miss me. He could have blamed God. Well, if God is a God of love, then why did God allow this famine? You've heard it. If God's a God of love, then why does he allow all this suffering and all this pain? We've heard it all. We probably said it. And folks, we have been playing the blame game ever since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So let's just blame somebody else for the pig pen that we are in. That younger boy returned to his sanity when he stopped playing the blame game. One day he was out there feeding those pigs and he realized it hit him. I've sinned. I have sinned against God, against heaven, and against my Father. So if you want to come home, number one, realize life in the far country, it's not what it's made out to be. It's empty. Stop playing the blame game. It's my fault. I have sinned. And then number three, re confess your rebellion. Confess your rebellion. When that, when that boy came to his senses, he, he saw that the real problem was his rebellion. Now, you notice when he prepared his speech that he's going to say to the father. He didn't say, well, now, Dan, I had to go to the far country to find myself. Mm, I've heard that so many times I could puke. I... I had to go to the far country to find myself <clears throat> or I needed some space. No, that son confessed his rebellion against heaven and against his father. Now, I want to show you how radical Jesus is here. Jesus gives a total new concept of sin. Now, the Pharisees thought that sin was breaking the thou shall nots. And we think the same thing. When you break the thou shall not, you sin. And you do. But Jesus added a new dimension to it. Jesus is saying sin is more than breaking the thou shall nots. Sin is running from God because we want to run our own life. You see, the far country did not create that boy's rebellion. The far country exposed that boy's rebellion. He was a rebel before he left home. Now, you know, you're told every now and then, don't go there, don't go here, don't go there. It'll make a sinner out of you. No, 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 it doesn't. It exposes the sin that is already there. The Bible doesn't teach that repentance is just saying I'm sorry. That's a part of it. The Bible teaches that repentance is saying, Father, I didn't trust you. You have always loved me. You have always wanted what's best for me. You loved me. I didn't trust you. So I believe the PR for the far country, 
and I left for the far country. See, those who repent say, Father, I have sinned. And when you confess that rebellion, you can go home to the Father. But you can't. You can't go home until you confess your rebellion. All right, let's do a little review. Realize the far country is empty. It's not what it was cracked up to be. Stop playing the blame game. My brother is not to blame. My father is not to blame. The old folks at home are not to blame. The old church at home is not to blame. I'm to blame. And confess your rebellion. I have sinned. But then realize how good life was at home. Realize how good life was at home. If you want to go home again, realize how good life was at home. Now, we justify our journey into the far country by not being honest about life at home. See, what we do, <laughs> and those of us who have left the far country know what I'm talking about. We, we reinvent history, don't we? We reinvent the history of our parents or our, our old church. Are those people at home, oh, they were so ugly, they were so unkind. And we reinvent history to justify ourselves for leaving for the far country. See, this boy who had been sick of home now becomes homesick by recalling how good life really was at home. He came to his senses and he realized how good he had it at home. Barnes says again, the grace in this story is found not only in the moment, the, the grace in this story is found not only in the moment the father received him back and restored his identity, but listen to this, but even in the memory that allowed the son to come to himself and turn around. The memory. He remembered that everything that he was looking for, guess where it was? It was back home. And that boy had another life-changing thought. I don't have to stay here. I do not have to stay here. Now, folks, this is very huge. This is very huge. Because many times we let our homelessness become our identity. Hang with me. Our struggle with alcoholism or an addiction, we let that identify us. Our struggle with a bad temper, that becomes our identity. Our bitter spirit, that becomes our identity. Our depression, that becomes our identity. We've had a divorce, that becomes our identity. We've had an abortion, that becomes our identity. And we let these become our identity. And when we do, we stay stuck in the pig pen. The greatest story ever told. Jesus is saying, come home. And I want you to notice, this boy didn't wait till he had his act all together to go home. He went home just as he was. <coughs> you see, God is not into perfection. He is interested in you coming home. He doesn't care if you come home smelling like a pig pen. He doesn't care if you come home in rags. He doesn't come, 
care if you come home broke. All he wants you to do is come home. Everybody who comes home comes to their senses. Burlington Baptist Church is filled with people who came to their senses and came home. Amen? Now, it, it's a journey some of us would have never made and the journey that the younger son would have never made without one more thought, without one more thought. Good preachers never should have five points. I never teach my class of preacher boys. Don't have five points, but I'm breaking all my rules this morning. I've got five points. So let's do a review so that uh, I won't get you lost. Okay. How do you come home? Realize life in the far country is empty. <laughs> Man, they, this is not everything was cracked up to be. Stop playing the blame game. It's not my dad's fault, not my brother's fault. Confess your rebellion. I've sinned. <laughs> it's me. I'm not a victim. I've sinned. And recall how good life was at home. But there's one more. And I don't think this boy would have ever come home unless he realized this. He realized his father was a good and gracious man. He realized his dad was a good and gracious man. Now, what brought that boy back home was not his starvation. But what brought that boy back home was the memory that his father was a good and gracious man. His dad really was a wonderful guy. And I don't care how hungry that boy got, he would have never come home if he thought, when I go home, my dad is going to bless me out and he's going to run me off. If he'd have thought that, he'd have never went home. He realized, my dad is a good man. My dad is a decent man. See, he didn't remember his home as just a place of abundant food. He remembered his home as a place of abundant grace. And coming to his senses was rooted in the fact that his father was a gracious, kind man, or he'd have never come home. But even realizing his father was a good man, he still could not wrap his mind around the welcome that he received. If you don't take anything home with you, take this home with you. God's love and grace is greater than anything we've done in the far country. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than what? All my sin. God's grace and love is greater than anything we've ever done in the far country. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Can you imagine how his dad felt when he saw the figure of that boy? Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, 
embraced him and kissed him. Hmm. I don't think we dads realize what our arms mean. I don't think we realize what our embrace means. Many years ago now, a young girl came to see me, and she sat down, and she started shaking and crying uncontrollably. I just let her finish until she could talk. And she said, LD, I am so scared. And I said, well, what's wrong, honey? She said, I am pregnant, and I am scared of my dad. I cannot tell him. You know him. He's going to explode, and he'll kick me out. I, I don't know what to do. I, don't, I wouldn't know where to go. I, will you please tell him for me? I am so scared of him, I cannot do it. I called her dad, and I said, your daughter is in my office. You have an opportunity to be a real jerk here, or you have an opportunity to be a real dad. And he said, Eldie, what's wrong? She's in trouble. She's pregnant. Now, are you going to be a jerk, or are you going to be a dad? I'll be right there. He came to my office, and when he opened the door, his arms were like this. His little girl ran to him, and he engulfed her in his embrace and held her tight, kissed her on the head, kissed her on the head, kissed her on the head, and said, Honey, I love you. I'm here for you. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. I am here to do whatever it takes. Now let's go home and start working through this. When you think of the arms of God, what do they look like? What do they look like? See, folks, this story doesn't make any sense at all. Doesn't make any sense at all. And I'll tell you how it should have ended. And it would have been far more sensible. And everybody would have expected it to end that way. You hear me quote Fred Craddock a lot. Fred Craddock, one Sunday morning, was called by somebody, said, said, Dr. Craddock, can you come and teach our Sunday school class? It was 9.15 in the morning, and, he, and our teacher just called and told me he was sick, and can you come and teach our class? And Dr. Craddock said, well, I've had no time to study. And they said, well, we're studying the prodigal son, and you're a New Testament scholar, and we think you could handle it. So Craddock said, on my way there, I decided I would tell it backwards. And he said, this is what I said. There was a man who had two sons. The older son stayed on, did his father's bidding, worked hard on the farm. The younger son took his money and wasted it in a far country and came into hard times, decided he should come home, confess his wrong. Well, when he drew near the house, he heard music and dancing and called for one of the servants and said, what's the party going on? And the servant said, well, you know, your older brother has stayed here and worked, your, worked, and your father appreciates him, and he's given him a party. He said, no sooner had I got that out of my mouth, and a woman from the back of the room yelled, well, that's the way it should have been. <laughs> and that's how it should have ended. That would have been fair. That's how it's supposed to work. It makes total sense. 
And everybody listening to Jesus' story, if he told it like that, would have nodded their head in agreement. But folks, God is not into fairness. God is into grace. And the way Jesus told that story made no sense whatsoever. But the point is, when you come home from the far country, the Father will treat you like you never left. He will treat you like you never left. Let that sink in. And here's, <clears throat> here's what absolutely makes no sense. The Father's going to pay for everything. And the Father paid for everything. Jesus left home so that we could go home. Greatest story ever told. Do you remember televangelist Jim Baker? He was sent to prison for fraud, and he should have been. I had a very bad opinion of Jim Baker because he brought shame on Jesus. Then he cast a shadow over all of us who are pastors. But gratefully, everyone was not like me, especially Billy Graham's family. They stayed in touch with Jim Baker while he was in prison. And they told him, when you get out, we want to give you a car. We're going to find you a place to live. And we're going to help you start again. Jim Baker told Billy, stay away from me. You do not need my baggage. For 50 years, your ministry has been spotless. You, you don't need to stain your ministry with your arms around Jim Baker. But the Grams didn't listen. In 48 hours, when Jim Baker was released from prison and sent to a halfway house, Ruth Graham called that halfway house and asked, Can we come by Sunday morning and pick up Jim and take him to church? And they said yes, and they did. Ruth and Billy took him to church. And Ruth and Billy sat next to inmate 07407-058. And they took him home for Sunday dinner. Jim said we were sitting at the table and Ruth asked me for some addresses. And I pulled out of my pocket an envelope. And she said, Jim, where's your wallet? And he said, we're not allowed to have a wallet in prison, only an envelope. And she left and came back with a wallet and said, this is yours. You can have it. Billy doesn't need it. Jim Baker said that was the moment he realized that was some, in some places you can go home again. Are you homesick? Are you homesick? You don't have to stay where you are. Come to your senses and come home to the Father. Will you pray with me? I want to do something this morning that I don't usually do. But maybe there are those here this morning who aren't home. And why are you where you are? 
and I want to pray for you. And as an act of faith, if you feel like I'm not as close to God as I should be, I, I've been spending too much time in a foreign country. If that's the case, would you just have the courage to raise your hand where you are? I don't want to embarrass you, but just raise your hand where you are, and I will pray for you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your courage. Father, I pray for those who raise their hands. And I'm praying for some that should have raised their hands. And I'm praying that they will refuse to stay where they are. And I pray that they will be filled with the memory of your goodness and your grace. And that they will trust your heart. And believe that everything they need and were made for is in your house. Father, your children are coming home. And we know you're going to meet them. May they have a sense of your arms around them and know their Father's embrace. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that you did not give us fairness, but you gave us grace. We pray this in the name of our Father. And all God's people said, Amen. Today, if you want to come home to the Father, He's ready to receive you with open arms, forgive you, welcome you into the family. So come home to him today. Come home to the Father and his grace. If you need to be baptized, it's a good day to make that decision as well. You need to obey the Lord in baptism. If you would like communion, come to the communion stations and serve yourself. If you'd like someone to pray with you, if you'd like to just come and spend some time in prayer on these steps, on these altars, you can do that as well. But we entreat you, we encourage you.